You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hey, Film Files, what's going on? I'm here, you're here, let's move on. We got a, uh, a fun extravaganza-orama of a show today. Got some guests, got a special movie that was chosen by last week's trivia winner, so let's meet that person. Who was that? It was me, Jimmy, Joey Fondle. Hello, all you listeners out there in Radio Land. It's great to be back here on Movie Show Theater. How about this other guy? What's your name? Hello, my name is Sam Ball. Uh, so you're listening to 90.7 WAZU. More specifically, we are Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's God right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. All right, so last week, uh, Joey cleaned house. Uh, I asked a question about how many... Star Trek movies there are in existence, and Joey railed them out in about five seconds. There's 13. There's 13. Wow. There's Star Trek Discovery, the new TV show. Coming That's right. Out. It's mm. not a movie, though. Jimmy specified movies only. Sam, this is not this I didn't is even not know about CBS. that TV show. I almost got to give you credit, Sam, because yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yes, credit oh. where it's due. I give you no credit. And <laughs> <laughs> we're all stupider for having listened to that. <laughs> It's funny that you said that, because uh, last week we were talking about the fact that we all love to make fun of Adam Sandler. It's funny. He was terrible in the beginning, and he's terrible at the end. It's the middle part yeah, that yeah, matters. That is true. The Although, mid, the, the, sec- the beginning of part, the middle. He's so far had two or three good movies uh, that weren't comedies. So Spanglish, I would say, is one of them. Spanglish then, is great. Yeah. I love Spanglish. Yeah, and then uh, Punch Drunk Love Punch is my Drunk favorite. Love, of course. Totally. Have you ever seen Punch Drunk Love? I, I love that movie. It's a good movie. Uh-huh. I like the use of the score from Popeye. You know what I'm talking about? No. The song. I don't know if that's the name of the song, but the lyrics are "He needs me, he needs me." He needs oh me, yeah, he yeah, needs yeah, me. yeah. It was originally sung by uh, I, I, don't, I remember her name. The woman from The Shining. Olive oil. Yeah, olive oil. <laughs> and that was that they used that in Punch Shelley Drunk Duvall. Love. Shelley Duvall. Thank yeah. you, Sam. Why do you keep that to yourself? <laughs> out Joe. with it. Because fuck you, Joe. If, you, if you've got the facts, this is the time. I'm Tom Facts over here. You're Tom Facts. God, sometimes you just got to remind yourself that Popeye the movie was a thing. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was great. It was a great movie. Um, Robert Altman directed Popeye. One oh, of the first movies I ever... That makes I, sense. I was cognizant for. Is that the right word? I remember being very surprised that there was a live-action Popeye. <laughs> and then it was over, and I had no I was, question that I was, I was never very thankful watch it again. that his forearms matched the cartoon. <laughs> what do you use those those forearms for? Like that size forearm? What is, what is the practical use for that? How do you get that? How do you get a long How do you get a long sleeve shirt on? Rowan. Yeah, dude. That is interesting. I never made that connection. He's a sailor man from the World War era. They didn't have to row shit. 
he rose into town in the beginning of Popeye. Well, New shut Haven. Up. He he rose on in. Okay. That's why those arms are so big. So he was just a normal. He's not strength training he like by. he's not strength training equal parts of his body. He's yeah. just like those are uh, those are rowers' arms. <laughs> they they would, would get bigger. Yeah, they would like he would eat the spinach and his arms would shoot down like sleeves curling up and then they'd shoot back up. Nothing mm-hmm. really physical about him. He needs to get that looked at. Probably a goiter. So Popeye is uh, propaganda for spinach and as a matter of fact the iron content of spinach which is what Popeye was touting and that's where he supposedly got all of his uh-huh. strength isn't actually accurate is it the, not? the iron content of spinach is, is about not? one no it's not it's about one tenth of what's actually on the label there is no doubt in my mind that spinach is good for people so I don't know where you're coming from with what point did I say there's no benefit to spinach I'm just saying that the iron content you is said one the iron content. maybe they were trying to push spinach they were like people were eating that shit, the iceberg lettuce they absolutely were you gotta watch that stuff because the reason people are pushing cheese and people are like oh everybody loves cheese I love cheese you're falling for it yeah I don't believe because a thing I don't believe a word that I'm told about cheese but spinach don't. I'll believe everything That's wait what do you mean what, what, what you guys hearing about cheese well cheese so cheese because skim milk is such a huge thing the cheese is the curd that they take off of it. And then now there are mountains of this cheese that they got to get rid of. cheese. The so government telling, cheese. What are we going to do with all this cheese? They're telling people that everybody loves cheese. And people are buying into it. Hook, line, and sinker just mm-hmm. buying this cheese. Yeah. Same thing with bacon. People love bacon. Well, I, yeah. I'd say how, so how many good. how many porkers we got out there right now. I'm tired of I this guarantee. whole, like, bacon. Like, everything's better with bacon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, bacon's fine. But... I also I did just have bacon like an hour ago, so... You yeah, you I don't believe that everything is better with bacon. I think bacon is great. I'll eat bacon until the day I die. That's fine. But it doesn't make everything better. No. Like, it's, it's you know, it's it's salt and fats, and, and it hits a lot of marks for people, but the... You, I got you're buying into you're buying into propaganda when you I got it. nothing against eating a good burger, but no. for some reason when they add bacon, I just feel like a major league porker, and I never get the bacon on top. I hear you. And it, when you think about it, it's not that really big of a difference okay. calorie wise. But there's something about ordering the bacon on top of a burger that just makes you think, oh god, I need to rethink my life. It's what am okay. I doing? Yeah, Whenever I see people eating bacon, somebody's always got to say something like, "Oh, I love bacon. Oh god, can't get enough bacon." I think you're hanging around some weird, some weirdos, Jimmy. Right? Uh, yeah. Ah, maybe it's just me. You know, that's a funny. It, it's funny that you should say that, Joey. When one of your main courses at your recent wedding were piles of bacon, candied bacon. But I wasn't going around like heaping it in people's faces, saying bacon makes it better. That's I just true. said, "Here's <laughs> some bacon. Take it or leave it." And the candied bacon was good. I'll give you and that. And they all I've never took had it. Candied bacon. Yeah. yeah. How how was the how was the wedding? The wedding was great. It was a it was a perfect splendid evening. Oh, yeah. A celebration of love. There was a lot of bourbon at this wedding. We was bought that? we bought the big one. <laughs> I said we need the big one. Thing of bourbon. Yeah. I've never seen something. So but a good. lot of people drank bourbon. I said we need a lot. Was to drink. I said we need a lot of no bourbon water and a lot of bacon. <laughs> there was water, but it there's was water in the bourbon. Back. Well, my friends, we're about 10 minutes into the podcast, and... Uh, <laughs> we have not discussed movies once. We have not yet said the movie that we have chosen for today. That's okay. We chose Twilight Zone, the movie, from 1983, and uh, I didn't realize how nostalgic this movie was for me until I uh, went back and watched it, but it was one of those uh, vignette films, four different segments, each one directed by a different person. You obviously already know that if you've seen it. And you wouldn't be probably listening to this if you haven't seen it, so we'll just move right along. The uh, prologue with Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd, as well as the first 
bit that was called Time Out was directed by Jonathan Landis. By the time that this came out, he'd already done Blues Brothers, Animal House, American Werewolf in London, and Trading Places. So he was... He was a superstar. He was a superstar. He was like at the top of his game here. He wasn't just a rising star. That star had risen. Yeah. And this was the peak and also the downfall because, uh, well, who's going to tell this story? Murder. You know, a man died. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's see. With all due respect. Uh, With all due respect. Yeah, with all due respect, 36 years later. But for those out there in Radio Land who don't know, during the filming of Twilight Zone, the movie, and the segment that Jimmy is referring to, directed by John Landis, a man, a uh, not a famous actor, because if you say the name Vic Morrow nowadays, people don't know who no, he is. No, not Vic uh, okay, Morrow. Uh, okay, now you need to calm down, because Vic Morrow actually has a place in history. Combat? Absolutely. Is, yeah, is, he does. He but, does. But not like... But like, if you say like Vic Morrow to like a, a millennial, they're gonna be. They're not going to be like, yeah, combat. Well, they're wrong. They are they wrong. Are, they ought to have they should know. So there's four of these things here. We'll just kind of start with the first one. We can jump all over the place, but the prologue. It's like they stuck Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks into a car and just said, go. Yeah. You know? So here's, so here's my question. The, what I love about The Twilight Zone is that there's so many questions that they don't answer, and there's so many, you know, everything is shrouded in mystery. And they don't even tell you how these two people know each other, Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. He's a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He picked him up on the side of the road. Yeah. Oh, is that right? That's in the original yes, one? That is yeah. Correct, yeah. Well, Steven Spielberg produced the whole project, and, but I don't know how the negotiations went. Like, if they just called John Landis and they're like, mm-hmm. hey, you want to remake a Twilight Zone bit? I don't know. They're I'm sure, like, friends. those guys all had grown up with the Twilight Zone, and so I'm sure they were. I'm sure that's how they attracted the star power. Well, Spielberg did amazing stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly, he. He, he'd been inspired by Twilight Zone at some point in his life. Yeah, Twilight Zone has that timeless quality that they're still... I mean, it's amazing that Rod Serling wrote and came, came up with a concept of over like 200-some Twilight Zone episodes. It's insane, yeah. The original series is still, I think, one of the best sci-fi shows ever produced. Um, the movie, I think, suffers a lot from the time in which it was made. I think that they left out a lot of the... Well, there actually, there's no political commentary in the movie except for the first segment, which is so like heavy-handed. Just there's there's nothing metaphorical about it, really. It's just, oh, okay, we're gonna slap you in the face with this idea of this intense bigot who uh, has to step into the shoes of all of these people who've been prejudiced against throughout history. It's I think that one is my least favorite of all of them. The production history aside, and the right. fact that a man was a man and two innocent children were murdered making that making that segment. Um, I think it's just it's kind of sloppy and it doesn't really deliver much. Yeah, in it, terms of story. Yeah, you can almost kind of see what they're trying to do. Like you want to show us history through somebody else's eyes, mm-hmm. so maybe he can be sympathetic towards a culture that he doesn't have any background in. But the accident uh, that we're talking about. It was a, a scene that didn't end up in the movie, but he is in Vietnam, and uh, he saves two children from dying, and so he kind of has this like moment of redemption, which doesn't often happen in Twilight Zone. I think the ending that they went mm-hmm. with was far more in the wheelhouse of what they normally do. I don't know if it was the very ending, but I know that in, that was in there to give him some likability, because you don't really... It's, a, it's funny when you watch a movie, and the main character, the protagonist, is not very likable. 
it makes the movie a little bit harder to watch, you know? And I think that's a fault of screenwriting if you don't make the character somebody that we want to root for. No one's going to watch Except that. Except for, you know, white supremacists. <laughs> no, I don't think any white supremacists are going to watch that first segment of the Twilight Zone movie and be like, damn, i got to rethink my life. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the linchpin, isn't it, to that story, is that you've got to, you've got to be able to get something out of that story. Because there's not too much about it that's terribly interesting. He's laughably racist. He yeah, from the moment that they introduce him into the bar, he's like an asshole from the very beginning. So uh, one of the time frames that he goes through is wartime in Germany. And this mm-hmm. brings me to my first trivia question. Okay. So this is an audio file. And I've always loved the... Uh, I love sound design in movies. And I especially love gunfire. Sure. And it seems like in the 80s, Every handgun sounded the same when it fired. It always ricocheted like eight times, you know? I know what you mean. And uh, I think that sound design, but more specifically like weaponry sound effects, have just gotten a lot more realistic. And sometimes it's more subtle. It's not as dramatic, but that's, that's a good thing because that's more, you know, realistic. Like if you ever see actual grenade explode, there's no flames. That's something that Hollywood kind of made up because it, it looks better. Or like the idea of shooting somebody's gas tank and the car blows up immediately. So I'm going to play seven short clips okay. mm-hmm. from seven different movies. This dates from the 70s all the way up till the 2000s. Okay. So there's little to no dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's only sound effects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mainly gun sound effects. Got it. So you try to tell me okay. the decade in which you think that... The decade, movie. not the movie? Yeah, the if you decade. can tell me the movie, I will be impressed. I think there's one that you'll for sure get. None of them are period pieces, by the way. All seven movies are movies that take place when they were made. Okay, okay. got it. All right, so here's, okay. here's the first one. Okay. 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 Sam, what do you think? I'm thinking... I should turn the Bluetooth on. I think that would sound better. <laughs> that sounds like a real person. It is. She's very small. Did you trap someone inside of that Bose she's, sound machine? She's, she's a teeny bean. <laughs> I'm thinking Desperado. You're not supposed to guess the movie. You're supposed to get, guess the it's decade. It's so much more fun to guess the movie. <laughs> I, I'm going to say the 80s. All right, here's the second one. That's that's the eighties. That's lethal. You think that's eighties? I guarantee it. It, Thinking that's lethal. I'm gonna. I think you're probably right, but I'm gonna say seventies just to disagree with you. All right, and here's the third one. Okay. Oh, that's that's eighties. 90s? Oh, that's totally the 90s. I, I made that one really short because I thought uh, it, it, was it would give it away. That was the fourth one? The fourth one, yes. Okay. Okay, here is the fifth one. Listen to that music. 
I think Jimmy's uh, trying to trick us. He's trying to he's trying to <laughs> pull one over on us. That's where Jim Carrey gets killed. What do you call this decade that we live in now? <laughs> the zeros? The, no, there are the aughts and then there's the teens. The so teens. The that, tens and then there's also the teens. What? That is so <laughs> anticlimactic. The teens. Like the twenties, the nineties. Everybody remembers the nineties. Do you remember the aughts? Do you remember how fun the aughts were? In nineteen hundred? The, the when people were dying dying of scurvy. Yeah, but that was just the 1900s. And people were around on the not nine. That's just yeah. that's just referred to as the 1900s. In 1907, when Columbus landed on Plymouth There's Rock, the tens. You the can just call it the, old, the olden times. In the tens, olden days. <laughs> I already I already uh, said that one of them was the 70s. But I think that one was the 70s. Oh, when, no, there, that one there's has, not that one, one from a, each decade. There might be more than one from each the decade. 70s would never oh, have I didn't know that. Because yeah, the 70s had. So it was the 80s. 70s was like indie shit. Mm-hmm. Indie. It wouldn't have the electric. It was like Bonavir. It was indie before indie was That's indie. That's the fifth one. Fifth one is the 80s. When also. we get through you these again. Have just done one per decade. We, yeah, I know. I got a little carried away. All right, here's the second to last one. Okay. Well, so that's that's 70s. 80s. 80s. That's Scarface. Oh, is it? All right, here's the last one. That's Winter Soldier. That's the last one. I ain't Winter Soldier. <laughs> Who that? I'm gonna say 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't Winter Soldier. No, it was Ooh. a talkie. 80s, 80s. I realize I've just put 80s for most of these. I have three. I didn't 80s. really give you much to write down, did I? I only have six actually. I'll play it again and then I'll I'll tell you what it is afterwards. Okay. Hope you guys weren't in a hurry today. <laughs> Right. That's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, starring Rick Moranis. <laughs> Any last, what, what do you Any think? Any last words? Any last words? I no, think. but I am, I am having fun trying to guess these movies. Do you have a guess for that one? Yeah. That first one? Yeah. Oh, the last one. I, I No, the first one. Oh, the first one? I just played the first one again. Uh, that first one, I'm going no, to say, was Hard Target, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm sticking. <laughs> Boo, Joey! You want to try to be wrong too? Mrs. You want to try to be as wrong as your friend Sam? <laughs> Sam, can you get my pencil? I dropped it on the floor. Yeah, sure. That first one was. I want to do that. Nineteen ninety-five. That was from Desperado. Wow, Sam called it. Sam said Desperado. You're damn right. Just give it to Sam. He's. All right, I'll give it to Sam. He named the movie. <laughs> this one? What do you think this one was? Kindergarten Cop. No, I'm saying it's... Oh, that's a good... I thought Kindergarten Cop or it's Dirty Harry. It is Dirty Harry. Whoa. <laughs> Just give it to Sam. He's Did Sam right look at my computer? He got it and he got all the answers. That's why he should give me the... the if he prize. gets all seven right, I don't know. <laughs> Make it. Is Die Hard. Die Hard? Mm-hmm. Oh. And then the super long one. This was the one that was like a minute. What do you think for this one? Uh, I'm going to go with Hard Target starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. So you're going to say the 80s? 
Uh, that was number four. Number four? I said that was from the 2000s, so it must be Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> it's actually Mission to Mars. You were close. Whoa. That was Gary Sinise. Oh, the classic Gary Sinise takes an AK-47 to his compatriots. There were guns know. in Mission to Mars? No. no. There was a gun in Armageddon. Is that from Armageddon? God, that was a movie where every two minutes something else goes wrong. So it blows up. Yeah. That was That was kind of a... Like, laughably ridiculous. The implication that we would train six people to be astronauts in, like, 24 hours. These NASA scientists have no idea how to drill a hole. (laughs) Like, the best of NASA, the best idea that we have is to put six oil drillers on a rock. It's so, like, so that they could appeal to middle America, too. Like, they're like... Like the astronauts, the educated astronauts, the men who go to space are the bad guy, but these miners who work on an oil rig, I find somebody in a space movie that I can identify with, hard work and... That's one thing astronauts aren't, is hard work. It's so condescending. Come get Papa Bear! Boss? Sam, I'm disappointed you didn't know this one. Boss? This was 1993. Hang on. Oh, last action hero. And this last one. What now? Do you know what that last one's from? Number seven? I think Sam clearly won. <laughs> I've been wrong about every single one of my answers. This is the newest, this is the most recent one. <laughs> totally, that's the most recent 2003. 2003? Oh, yeah, 2003. Hang on. I know this song. I know this movie. What is it? Another Michael Bay film, if that helps. Michael Bay. Oh, Oh, Bad Boys 2. It is Bad Boys 2. That was fantastic. Sam, remember his childhood. All right, so uh, back to the... Back to the prologue. First of all, I love how both Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd get all hyped up about singing Midnight Special, and then the verses start, and they don't know any of the words. And I didn't know that about The Hitchhiker. Every time I watch that movie, I try to, like, come up with a story of how, what their connection is. Oh, really? Yeah. In my mind, I decided that they both were friends because their kids are married to each other. And they're the fathers that are going on a long trip to see their kids. That's so in-depth. Yeah, dude. Am I wrong about the hitchhiker thing? That's what I remember. So who did I make that up? I mean, you've been wrong so far. So I have say, been. I was wrong about every single one of those. It makes bullets. sense though. It makes sense though because Dan Aykroyd is the one that turns out to be a monster. Yeah, yeah. like I would know if one of you guys were a monster, but I, like if you picked me up on the side of the road and we were strangers, I wouldn't know. But how crazy would that make the story if they if he wasn't hit and they were like old friends, like old college buddies? I think and he had been a monster since the 70s. Why didn't he eat him to begin with? Yeah, why is he waiting? He's been waiting. <laughs> like he Albert was Brooks biting his time. Made... I don't want to eat 70s Albert Brooks. I want 1983 Albert Brooks. He's just like, you know what? I need a midnight snack. When he transforms into the monster, that was always the part when I covered my eyes when I was a kid. That uh-huh. was the most scary thing. And I think that yeah. holds up. That effect yeah, holds up. It oh, really totally. does. But I think it's partly uh, John Landis's team, his creative effects team. Because they created categories for American Werewolf in London so that they could give him awards. Whoa. Like, your transformation scene is so amazing, we want to give you something, but there's not 
uh, category to put this We're in. We're going to so. give you your own helicopter. So <laughs> oh... Uh, special effects awards for that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it was actually for the Oscars. It was some award that they got. But I know that that movie was responsible for it, American Werewolf in London. Have you seen that recently? Do you, yeah. do you know the transformation that, scene? Yeah. That, that movie holds up. That it's a really good movie. Sure. I watched it this past Halloween. And they, uh, I think partly the, the writing, but the chemistry be- between those two characters... Griffin Dunn and um, the other guy, the main character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they uh, it, it heightens the drama of the story to have such likable people. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess he has the the comedy background, so that's where that comes from. But it's really funny. Like it's it's still funny. American Werewolf in London. It's very funny. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? About horror and comedy, they both. I mean, those two genres are extremely similar. Probably more. Those those two you can probably compare better than. Any other two genres? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh huh. I had nothing you to say. To, oh, I thought you started yeah, a sentence. You, oh, did I? You you breathe. Well, you've already oh, started one. Do you have yeah. one that you want to finish? No, I have nothing to say. It's a great movie. I love it. John Landis is a great guy. He would never do anything bad to anybody. No. <laughs> timeout. It was it was pretty boring. What was boring? What was boring? The timeout. The the first skit. Oh yeah. After the, oh, after yeah. the prologue. <laughs> we we obviously only, really enjoyed we, it. We've only just moved past the prologue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can skip over that first one. I think it's worth mentioning the thing that this movie is most infamous for, famous and infamous for, is the death of Vic Morrow. But and, I think everybody I think everybody pretty much knows about that that knows about this movie. Like, and, yeah, and to let people know, like, we do understand the fact that, like, you show that he's a racist and you put him through all this shit that all the people that had to go through that shit went through to show him. We get it, but it's still a bad. It's still a bad segment. Yeah, it's like, oh look, he's oh, oh he gets what he deserves yeah. in the end. And he, yeah, like I get it. Comparing the trash. And you guys know that John Landis is uh, his nickname in Hollywood is Lower Lower Landis because <laughs> get lower, get lower. That's what he was shouting into the, in whatever you call it, walkie-talkie, because he was talking to the guy flying the helicopter to go lower and lower and lower, and that's why the helicopter crashed. That's. F- Duh. That's why he was... Um, that they make jokes about it. That's why charges were brought against... I believe charges were brought against... Yeah, and then they yeah, were yeah. dropped because there were... Uh, the kids were hired illegally. Yeah. And they they were hired illegally because they were shooting at night and they were shooting around explosives. And so Landis thought that labor laws, would they would either not let him use the kids or that they would, wouldn't let him be around the explosives. So they paid the parents under the table... And they even went so far as to tell certain uh, supervisors on set to like basically turn a blind eye. And the stuntman that was doing it said we shouldn't be doing this. John Larroquette said that he wanted to be on set to watch the action, um, and his car got stolen, so he wasn't able to be on set. That's incredible, really. Yeah, poor <laughs> John Larroquette. I know, and because uh, he's in it, he's in he's in Time Out. He's one of the KKK guys. Is he? Yeah. So, okay. So, so John oh, Lorquette. I think I remember that. Um, He's hilarious. So it was John Lorquette. That role. Yeah. Was John Lorquette saying that he would have saved the kids if he had been no, there? No, he, he was just like, he on like, a side note, he was like, oh, I got to check that shit out because someone's probably going to die. See, like Mark Wahlberg in 9-11. He's like, if I had been there, I would have saved them. <laughs> I would have saved them. I'm a if science I teacher. There, I would have seen them. That's a great John Lorquette. Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. Anti-nest. Was he in that? John Larroquette show, I never saw it. Was it good? It was great. <laughs> great. That night court. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite John Larroquette role is for sure Richie Rich. Oh, great. He's great in it. The he's villain. Mean, yeah. He's, he, it's, and it's hard to look at him as a villain, too, because 
He's just so god lovable. Well, I sure wish he had been on set that day for the Twilight Zone movie filming. <laughs> so I did want to mention before we move on that uh, his reaction. <laughs> was that John Merrick? <laughs> Wasn't it? No, no, no. no. It was another close. white-haired guy. <laughs> He's the guy from Golden Girls. I know who he is. No, when, he, when Vic Mara walks out of the bar... It's interesting to imagine, like, what would be a realistic reaction? Mm-hmm. You know, like, he walks out of the bar, and all of a sudden, he's in Germany. So it would be really easy to overact that sort of reaction. And it is also a moment of everything that you thought you knew is wrong. So you don't want to underplay it either. If you were in that situation, would you be like, I was wrong about everything. I'm not a racist anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> or would you be like, dude, <laughs> yeah, would you like, like refuse to play along with the rules? It. Yeah, yeah. But I love his reaction. That's why I bring it up. I think it's perfect. And obviously, he's a talented actor. Mm. Well, was a talented actor. How dare he? He's great in combat. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has like the best uh, combination of bewildered and scared and confused and. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I just thought that... I always thought that when I watched all Twilight Zone episodes. You know, there was a episode where there's this old woman, and she's in a cabin, and she's just making dinner. Oh, and, yeah, dude. I know what you're talking about. And invaders. she's eating cheese. You ever seen that one, Sam? No. And there's these, like, little creatures in her house, and she's, like, trying to, like, kill them. And uh, you're like, leave this poor woman alone. And then they, like, zoom in on one of the creatures, and it's, uh, it says NASA on the side. Yeah. She yeah. was a giant. <laughs> she was a giant alien. That's awesome. Was Genius. Like, yeah. But like, I like a lot of those old Twilight Zone episodes. I feel like they didn't act realistically because yeah. of the way people acted at the time, with the exception of a few. Like the uh, what's the one? Is it called the Walk Home? What was that one where the guy goes back and he like his car breaks down and it's the town oh, that he grew up yeah, in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone back in time. And, she uh, got really excited and then just stopped. Because I thought he was about to talk about a different episode where a couple is trapped in this small town and it turns out to be a snow globe. Where the big hand comes and like yeah. swoops him up. Yeah, that was great. That's messed up. Or it was like a toy town. You go on. Toy town. <laughs> it I was. They were like mannequins. Time. Everybody in the city were mannequins. Yeah, they were trying to eat like fruit and shit. It was just like... If I had a plastic. nickel for every time my car broke down in toy town. Again? <laughs> 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 I don't know if we've uh, spent much time talking about how Scatman Crothers is just a f***ing ball of joy. Even, even in The Shining, every time he <laughs> opens his mouth, it's big, Mrs. Torrance, but it ain't nothing but a kitchen. Everything that he says is just so positive. It's so great. I love, I love him. Uh, get the can. <laughs> yes, I'm a fan of Scatman Crothers. Is he coming? He is. He's on his way. Is he like, stuck in traffic? I'm the Scatman. That's my favorite song by that gentleman. Did he pass away, <laughs> Scatman Crothers? Yeah, so no good way. question. I wanted to know. I was like, I remember him dying. I'm going to see if he's still alive. If he was still alive, he would be 112 years old. He can do it. He did, in <laughs> fact. Because he, he, like, he doesn't age. Every, everything that I've ever seen him in, uh, he always looks the same. He's like your grandpa, where he's just been old your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Scatman Crothers is my grandpa. So, so here's, a, here's a fun trivia fact for you. I thought that Scatman Crothers' career was mostly characterized by uh, his music. How many acting credits, according to IMDb, do you think that Scatman Crothers has? Two. <laughs> the Shining and Twilight Zone. I'm going to say 140. That's pretty ambitious. 
I'm going to say one. Crothers is an ambitious man. I'm going to say one dollar, Jim. <laughs> uh, the the actually the answer is Drew Carey for some reason. No, uh, 128. Whoa, acting credits. <laughs> His last one was for a Transformers cartoon called Transformers: The Return of Optimus Prime. Um, did we get into kick the can? That was pretty much kick the can. Let's, kick let's, the can. Like I, I it was a, my least favorite one. My least favorite segment from the whole movie. No. Shit. Uh, watching it earlier today, revisiting it, I realized it's actually kind of a heartwarming tale. It, it lacks the paranormal suspense. Uh, and surprises that I expect from a Twilight Zone episode or segment in a movie remake. So I think it's still my least favorite of the movie segments, but I don't hate it anymore. It's my second least favorite. I like it more than Time Out, and I, I enjoy, like it's it's a nice reprieve. You know, it's a little breather between the 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 tension, and I think that it really it, it captures. The Spielbergian qualities that we know, uh, you know, Spielberg to be famous for, as as well as John Williams, which is funny since it was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, all the music was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who is a fucking master at his uh, work. Um, Secret of Nim, right? Yeah, that's the only other thing he did. Jerry Goldsmith, all the Star Trek, the original Star Trek movies were scored by Jerry Goldsmith. Land Before Time. Did you do Silverado? Shock a lot. (laughs) Did he do shock a lot? He really did shock a lot? I hope no, so. No, no, he didn't. Did he? That was from Orange County. Just a different oh, movie. he did Orange County, yeah, yeah. as well. It's my <laughs> favorite County. Colin Hanks oh, movie. He played Colin Hanks in that movie. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Goldsmith is such a legend that I don't even have time to uh, name one thing that he did. Orange County. All right, I'll do a couple. It was uh, Total Recall. Ooh. Was uh, one of my faves. Did I still he, remember that one. Did, did he do Silver? It's a good score. You ever listen to that Arnold Schwarzenegger... Uh, well, when I was a kid, everything was in CD form because we're going back to the yeah. before time and uh, <laughs> land before time. Also, Jerry Goldsmith, I think, or James Warner. I don't know. No, no, it was Jerry. Jerry it was, Goldsmith. Yeah, it was John Williams. John, it was John Williams. And, uh, it was Alan Sylvester. It was, uh, it was Rick Marinus. <laughs> and uh, so I had I had the CD, and it was a compilation of all the Arnold Schwarzenegger themes, which is interesting because you, you don't think of him as a film composer. Arnold but it was the themes. Yeah, I don't think of Arnold Schwarzenegger as a film. Yeah. Ah, but it was the themes composed for movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in. So you've done, got done, yeah, done, done. You got the obvious ones, and then you've got like things like Kindergarten Cop in there, like the suite to that Kindergarten Cop, which you, you would think like Kindergarten Cop music. Okay, that score is lost to time. I'm never going to be able to get that in CD, MP3, uh, <clears throat> whatever, however you laser, have your movie disc. delivered to you. Uh, but it's out there. You can listen. To the Kindergarten Cop Suite, and it's a majestic piece of music. Well, I'll check that out. <laughs> I used to, I used to hate this segment. I just thought it was really boring. And watching it again a couple days ago, I realized a couple things that this Twilight Zone, the movie, starts out pretty slow, and then it moves to the second one, which is also pretty slow, <laughs> and then it goes to the third one, which is by far my favorite. Me uh, too. Crazy. So which good. we might have a separate podcast just for that, and then the fourth one, which is like the John Lithgow show, which is just absolutely Incredible. phenomenal. Incredible. And the one that like lives on, I think, in pop culture in people's minds. Oh, I think that that is what this movie is known for. And anytime it is referenced, and the references are few and far between for Twilight Zone the movie, but I feel like I've seen a lot of a lot of references to. Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Which is crazy because I think that a lot of people were scarred by the third 
the third episode, the third segment. I, w- I wonder mm-hmm. if they got to choose their episodes or if they were given the episodes. Because the Joe Dante one is right in Joe Dante's wheelhouse. It is. Yeah. Although it's in his wheelhouse, but it wasn't until, you know, when he, he was the, the, the new guy, Joe Dante was. When he came on board with Twilight Zone the movie, he did Piranha, yeah. and he did, uh, like, one other thing. Oh, he did The Howling. All right. The Howling was great. And a few Police Squad episodes. That's it. He was one of those Steven Spielberg protégés from the 80s. Because in the 80s, Steven Spielberg had several people that he was kind of bringing up. And tutoring in the Steven Spielberg. Yeah, form. that's that's a yeah. good point. Who directed Poltergeist? Because that was Toby also, Hooper. Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. He was also one of those guys. And then uh, uh, the Back to the Future, Robert Zemeckis was, Zemeckis. was one Zabby. of those. Yeah. And I think Joe Dante was one. That makes sense, sense because yeah. Gremlins is a uh, Spielberg production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As is uh, Poltergeist. So mm-hmm. that's where they got that money. But yeah, Gremlins and the Burbs all came after that. I mean, all of these Joe Dante. Classic characteristics were not uh, around yet. But yeah, the third one was amazing. There's all sorts of, there's so many things that I didn't realize about the third one is that, uh, so the third one is called It's a Good Life. And it's, of course, also a, a remake. They all are, except for Time Out. We already mentioned that. But when they first drive to the, the house of, of living nightmares, they go inside the house and they're watching, the whole movie is like a live action cartoon. And they show a cartoon version of the actual house they're in. And inside the cartoon, the camera in the cartoon is moving towards the house. But in the actual movie, the camera is pointed at the TV and the camera is moving away from the TV. So it's this like Hitchcocky, like the house remains the same size, even though there's all this camera movement. And I, I've never seen, seen it done quite like that before. I don't know. There's just a lot packed in. There is. That was the one, that, aside from the prologue, that scared me the most when I was a kid, yeah. I would say. I, I mean, like, obviously, like, this movie holds the highest ratio of uh, hands over eyes for, like, <laughs> for young me than any other movie. And this was a big part of it. I think I normally fast-forwarded through the Kick the Can segment, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to get to this segment, and but even though I didn't want to watch it. So there were a lot of parts that I didn't actually see yeah, no, I, I I totally relate to that. And going back and watching this, uh, it was the same plot from the original, but the story is is totally different. And I noticed that when the main actress leaves the bar, uh, they kind of hint that there's something off with the kid. They make like an offhand comment, like "Don't make him mad." But they show this woman hitting him on a bike, yeah. which I thought was so weird. I thought the kid had. Um... Like he had played a part trapping her in, in his weird world of nightmares. He wanted her to to be a part of it. I'm remembering this from a long time ago, too. Oh. No, that, yeah, that's accurate, though. Because at is, the end... Yeah. She, he wanted her to be his mother. The, the sister with no face. Or with no mouth. No terrifying. mouth. When they did it before The Matrix did it. Yeah. You think that's where the Wachowskis got their inspiration? I would imagine. Totally. Just, I mean, that thing is scars, yeah. So she couldn't eat, so he just like kept her alive with magic, basically just to punish her. Yeah, and his drunk uncle gets eaten by a cartoon... Kevin McCarthy? Yeah. Kevin McCarthy, that's a weird guy. He's like king of that guy. Yeah. You know, I know film mean. history is just full of people that's like, oh my god, I can name 20 things that he's been in, but I have no idea what his name is. I always remember him from UHF. I did not know that his name was Kevin McCarthy until you said it just now. There's a lot of... Terribly nightmarish stuff in this, and it seems like this kid is 
obviously gifted and very demented, but he just creates things that he would want to see. You know, like well, he's a kid with unlimited powers, yeah. and it's like unchecked. So it's kind of like a, a parable about you know parenting and you know how giving your kid too much freedom. I don't know. Yeah, he rules that house. Yeah. He forces be the, careful what what, to, what, what like, you wish peanut for. Peanut butter and jelly all every, every yeah. Week. Peanut. It was like peanut butter and, and burger. I think. Yeah, something. Oh God. Yeah, gross. And that's that was one of the most disturbing aspects of that segment when I was a kid. I think the live What's action cartoon burger? the rubber figure that spins around. There's two, there's the rat there's the hat trick. Right. And uh he pulls a a, a big old rabbit out of his hat. Yeah. Which practical effects is always more terrifying. Yeah, I.e. the thing. I recall that scene, him being very afraid of what he's about to pull out of that hat. It's and then being relieved. And he has no idea. Just, I know, it's so funny. I mean, and scary, but very mostly scary. funny. Very. That's the thing about that segment too is that it's it's the acting is so reactionary to everything that's going on because that's what creates the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's I I would say aside from obviously John Lithgow, he doesn't count because he's always going to be the best. One he is a live saying. action cartoon. <laughs> Absolutely, the Santa Claus or the Santa Claus of the movie. Holy crap! Where he plays the villain and he it doesn't anyway. In any case, in uh, segment three of this, uh, that's that's where you know an ensemble cast really gets to shine. My question about that segment was always: so at the end, he eliminates the entire universe from existence, and it's just him and the teacher in this uh, this void, this like nothing, yeah, the absence, the, the of, absence. Yeah, of and that she area. offers to help him. Yeah, and so then he's like, oh, she's like, you know, you can use your powers for good. And so he like conjures the world back into existence. Do you think that he brought his family back into existence? Like, was it the world restored back to the way it was pre his machinations, or was it? Well, he says that he sent them away. So I, I well, and they don't really give you any parameters on yeah, his power, basically. Right. But I think the most disturbing part of this segment is when you learn that his family are all just random strangers that mm-hmm. he's tricked into staying there. Because even though that this is a really like fucked up segment, there's some level of comfort knowing that it's all one big fucked up family. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, they're you guys just, don't even know each yeah, other. They're all prisoners. Yeah. How long have they been there? Yeah, that's my question. So yeah, he like wishes everything. W- yeah, I don't know. I think they could have done that ending better. I like that she yeah. that she took that role that was like, let me teach you. Well, yeah. it's Ple- please don't turn me into a. Or something. I don't know what she would do. But she approaches the the child with patience and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's a teacher too. That makes sense. Right. I want to be your teacher and your student. It gets a little creepy too. It does. Just a little bit. There's there's (laughs) some sexual underpinnings. I think it's more of a a metaphor for pedophilia. Yeah. Um, Yes. On on to the next one. I was <laughs> yeah, the, the lighting scheme was great too. I love the lighting. <laughs> we'll end on the lighting and uh, in the third segment. <laughs> so the fourth segment, the nightmare, nightmare. at twenty thousand feet. The George Miller one. Yeah, yeah. So then George Miller, he is the Australian director known for, of Happy course, feet. Mad Max and oh, Happy Feet. Yeah, no, he did Mad Max. Yeah, a lot of people Happy don't. Feet, and that was the only movie he ever did. A lot of people, no, but when he signed on for Twilight Zone, the only thing he had was Mad Max and Road Warrior. All those movies are perfect. Even Mad Max. Mad Max is the perfect 
origin story. So Beyond Thunderdome is a perfect movie. Is that what you're telling me right now? How dare you? First of all, it's a great, it's a great third movie. It fits all the parameters for a third film. Okay? You got your city that's run on shit. Okay, yeah, you, you got, got your Tina Turner. You got your Tina Turner. Kevin McCarthy's. You got, you got Kevin McCarthy playing <laughs> all those Tina Turner. kids in the desert. You got, you got a down plane, which every every movie need every third movie needs. Dark Dark Knight Rises, for instance, has a downed airplane. It's just what happens. Return of the Jedi downed airplane. <laughs> airplane Return of the Jedi. Uh, that other third movie that happened that had a downed airplane for a third example. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Nerds three. So is Nightmare uh, Twenty Thousand Feet either one of your favorites? Close to. I would say second that's, favorite. I would say it's my favorite. Is it? Absolutely. I, it's for sure my second favorite. And I guess Shatner was asked to reprise his role, and he didn't. It was like scheduling conflicts or something. That's what they always say. He's busy filming some Star Trek. Yeah. But yeah. This uh, I had to go back and watch this original segment last night because I felt like they start at the beginning of him having this breakdown and obviously he hasn't seen this creature yet and uh the the camera movement in this one uh, is another testament to visual storytelling it's really good because you're you're kind of in a tube the whole time yeah you're in a tube and you kind of learn things about him as the story progresses and if you don't pick up on him it doesn't necessarily detract some of the lines in this are great. John Lithgow is in one seat, fearing his life and about to fall off the edge of madness. And the old man behind him goes, I think I spilled my drink. And gets the flight attendant's attention just to tell her, I think I might have spilled my drink. <laughs> like, there's no... Don't uh, tell me you haven't done that on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. Don't tell me those lies. Not a huge emergency, but... I love to bring a Polaroid camera on every flight I'm on. Yeah, was she supposed to be creepy? I think that, uh, yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, sometimes in movies yeah. they try to make kids like cutesy and it just comes off as creepy. Like she's that a little dummy. bit. She's like early 90s, late 80s kid creepy in that segment. I don't know like what it is about it, but there was a period in cinema there where kids were just always creepy and always a nuisance. Hey, sister. Hey, I'm recording a podcast right now. Can I call you back in a little bit? All right, well, you're going to have to talk about Twilight Zone, the movie. That's what the topic is. All right, bye. I'm not going to edit that out. She shouldn't be calling me at that time. Um, anyway, creepy kids. <laughs> creepy kids. Yeah. They, creepy kids. They, they garbage were, pale kids. Yeah, garbage pale kids. Airplane kids with cameras. There's Those, Mac and me. Mac. In the 90s, there was a weird period there where the parents were always these dubious uh, figures and the kids were always smarter than the parents. I think smarter that's a Spielberg adults. thing. What was that one where the kids lock the parents in the basement? Uh, parents, stay tuned. <laughs> oh, I love stay tuned. I know you do. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's a, one of those Spielberg things where he empowers kids to make their own decisions. <laughs> and uh, the kids, they all live on a cul-de-sac and, and parents aren't doing this shit, so we got to do it ourselves. Come on, kids, get up on your yeah. bikes. yeah. And oh, the Spielberg boys. Yeah, right? There go the Spielberg boys. <laughs> I feel like they do that with horror, That's too, Spielberg. but it's uh, more like uh, teens. You know, the absent, yeah. the absent parent figure is yeah. so prevalent that it's like a, it's a convention. You know, you got to have it. Yes. I would, yeah, I would yeah, go yeah. so far as to say. Anyways, yeah. Thora Birch, where were her parents on that damn flight? Thora Birch? That wasn't Thora Birch, was it? Thora Birch. Thora, yeah. Did I, yeah, it's Thora Birch. The yeah. little girl? Thora, Thora yeah. Birch. With the, with the, with Polaroid? the Polaroid, yeah. Polaroid. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. 
I didn't even recognize her. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Patriot Games is Thora Birch. Yeah. So. The Patriot. Oh, yeah. So I was going to say I watched the original one because I felt like when they start showing the monster in the John Lithgow version, they show it enough times and they show it for just long enough. It's called the Gremlin. It is not called the Gremlin. It is a Gremlin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like the actual proper it's, noun it's Gremlin. Gremlin, yeah. Go on, Jim. All right. Trivia break. Is Fun. it multiple choice? No. True, false? What year did Jurassic Park come out? 1993. True. Joey got it. <laughs> he said true. How is that wrong? What year did the first Fast and the Furious movie come out? 2001. Damn! I see I have met my match. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough fun. We're going back to the timeout skit. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't want to go back there. Uh, okay. He was so, a racist. Racist? Who learned his lessons. I hate racing! <laughs> I don't even know what I don't even I don't even know. This was a stretch for George Miller. I wonder if uh, you know he has this sketch that he's going to direct, right? Yeah. And he's like, I want this to be as far of a departure from Mad Max because I want to stretch myself, or do I want something that uh, I'm comfortable doing? I don't know if like directing another movie would be a stretch for him. Yeah, like he's, uh, he's a movie director. Working like being a checkout man at Walmart would have been like That's a stretch. A stretch. You know, yeah, or like, even yeah. a movie about a Walmart checkout man would be a stretch for George. Miller. That's true. No, yeah. it's a movie again. But if it was like it's a post-apocalyptic a Walmart, what if he was producing it? Did you watch that recently, The Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, or do you just have that pretty, pretty that one well is in, in your mind? For some reason, is ingrained in my memory more than any of the other ones. I think for some reason I have watched that one more recently. Well, the old one is. Oh, the old one. The suit in the old one is really funny. It's like a gorilla. Suit. It's a gorilla costume. Oh, the the gremlin suit. I thought you were talking about William it, Shatner's suit. Oh no no no! Gorilla. Yeah, the, like and he the, was terrible when he flies onto the wing and it's clearly a man on just on wires. Yeah, he shouldn't have been as terrified. He should have just been asking more logical questions. Yeah, like, Why yeah. is there no wind resistance on on this gorilla's fur? How is he able to breathe? Is he a sherpa? Mm-hmm. I would have been as worried if the plane was still on the tarmac and there was a gorilla on the wing. Mm-hmm. Now the the gorilla Spe- <laughs> gorillas are smart, man. You ever seen War of the Planet of the Apes or the Beneath the Planet of the Apes conquest? I've seen all of them. Oh, okay. Well, okay. those are some bad gorillas. No, they're just fine. They're misunderstood, I think. So, Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet. Quite eloquently, I think the gorilla in that one, the new one. I mean, that's a true nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Yeah, that, that's yeah. great because yeah, you can't grandma. define yeah. the figure. Like it, when when a movie does that sort of tactic. Where they want to give you something tangible to see, but they also want you to imagine something far scarier than anything they could create. Mm-hmm. Bravo, because they did it. That little guy seems to be taunting Lithgow too. Yeah, he's messing I don't with take him. Kindly too. Yeah, he, no. that thing he like on. He's like hanging on to the wing. And his hair's blowing. He's screaming. It looks like a cover of like a metal album. He's yeah, hair. totally. Yeah, and, and also yeah, some like dreadlocks going on. Yeah. yeah, I mean that thing was terrifying. He's that like, was definitely what like is a, Johnny Nice Ride. And, and it is weird that he's the only person on that side of the airplane that, that's looking out the window. That's, well, there's the question of whether or not is it is all in his mind which you find out at the end of the segment that it wasn't because they inspect the airplane and yeah the it's all tore up on mm-hmm. the side and they're like mm-hmm. but yeah up to that point you're kind of thinking maybe this guy is just like crazy maybe he's off his rocker you don't know maybe i'm a sucker because i was like nope he's there i'm with you john i believe you man you're in it. it's because it's john lithgow of course yeah no you're right because i like john lithgow insane. i'm with john lithgow 
I was going to say, the scene, there's a scene after, there's some back and forth. He sees the monster. Nobody else does. Everybody thinks he's crazy. And he's looking out the window. And John Lithgow's facial expressions are out of this world. Just like insane. When I was watching this last night, my computer was having uh, connection issues. So it was like freezing up like a flip book. And every time it froze, it would freeze on the most hilarious John Lithgow moments. The monster makes eye contact with John Lithgow makes a beeline towards John Lithgow, and then somebody closes the window shade. And so then he's like, no, it's all in my mind, I'm fine. And he turns his head, and there's this really effective tracking shot that just, like, moves up to John Lithgow, and you can just tell that he's trying to fight the urge to turn around and open that window. And they have these, like, fiddles. The music is really very peculiar for that mm. part. And they have this, like, almost like a little country jamboree thing. And... You're like right on John Lithgow's face, and then he immediately opens his eyes and flips up the screen, and the monster's there. And you know how it's going to play out, even if you've never seen a horror movie before. Because, you know, logic tells you that as soon as you open that screen, the monster's probably going to be there. Right. But it's just a cool exercise in suspense and anticipation, you know? It's very effective. Very effective. I think that, uh, I think that this segment is primarily responsible for my being afraid of flying. You think so? The, that and 9-11. <laughs> so the very end, because we got to wrap up, unfortunately. Right. Um, and also for you to be thinking about, I'll ask you in about five minutes, Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can choose the next movie we do. Ninja Turtles. That's easy. Well, let's think about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the segment ends with John Lithgow grabbing a gun, shooting the window. Uh, this guy that's been annoyed with John Lithgow the entire segment ends up saving John Lithgow's life, and it's very subtle. But John Lithgow breaks this window and starts to fly out of the window, um, and this heavy set man grabs his waist, and they don't really make a point to focus on that. But it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, and then they land, and John Lithgow is in a stretcher, and you're like, oh, good, at least he's alive. But he's in a straitjacket. They load him onto an ambulance, and uh, yeah, then they show the engine that's just completely ripped to shit that proves that uh, he wasn't crazy, which I like, but I wish that they wouldn't have made it so obvious that the alien really was there because, it, I mean, there's that's your resolution. It would be nice if it's like, well, there's a couple rips, so it yeah. also could have been some debris. Just, just a bit in the It air. could have been yeah. a tree branch that was flying yeah. around. Yeah. My final thought regarding the movie Twilight Zone, the movies, it terrified me as a kid. It terrifies me now. I think they missed the boat on what the Twilight Zone was actually about. I think the Twilight Zone, as it existed in the 1950s, invented by Rod Serling, who we have to give a shout-out to, um, was uh, meant to be uh, a, a, means for, a means for social and political commentary. And there is very little to none in this movie. And as an adult man... I think that they missed the mark. I think it's uh, kind of a product of its time. I think that a lot of people were probably doing a lot of drugs on the side of that film. And I think that a lot of people were probably uh, more interested in the, the sci-fi and horror elements of The Twilight Zone. Not really what that show's about. And uh, I've only really gotten into The Twilight Zone in recent years with it being on Netflix and things like that. And it just... Uh, I never watch that show and think of it as a... Uh, as horror, I think of it more as commentary. And I wish that this movie had delivered more of that. But I'm still a fan. 
I'd like to add on to that. I, I, you know, Rod Serling is is essentially the Philip K. Dick of the the screen world. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those childhood classics where my judgment is kind of clouded by nostalgia, and I think my memory of of a lot of these segments is is more cohesive than actually like sitting and sitting down and watching the movie. But I, I like these vignette features. You don't see them as much anymore. And actually, they they never really were like a mainstay with film. There was, you know, Creepshow. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's hard to market movies like that, I would imagine. But yeah, I think Twilight Zone was, was good. If you can look at each individual segment as a short film and not look at this as a 90-minute movie, I think that that's probably better. Because I love... It's a good life, and I love Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, but I dislike Time Out so much, and it's such a tragic way to start, start the movie. And, uh, and that one like, kind of attempted the, uh, the, kind of the political, social commentary a little bit, but yeah. it just fell so flat. Yeah, it's and actually, granted, they didn't get to tell the full story. Time Out because mm-hmm. it wasn't even an original episode, which I think misses the point entirely. Like, the, you ought to update the episode and update the commentary. What mm-hmm. they did was update the stories and remove the commentary. And with this one, it updates the schlock. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's so overt and so over the top that it removes any possibility for, for anyone to take its commentary seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think part of that is probably expected because all of these original episodes were... Stories written in the 60s for 60s audiences. And now it's, you know, 20 years later when it first came out. So it's a whole new, it's a whole different audience. It's a whole different ball game, but it's the same story. So it doesn't necessarily hold up. Perfect. Well, Sam, what's our next movie? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990. All right. We're going to get that soundtrack too with Ya Kid K. <laughs> Spin that wheel! All right, well, we're going to have to save all this for then. <laughs> As per usual, you can hear all of our episodes, or most of them, at soundcloud.com slash movieshowtheater. And we're here every Tuesday at 9 p.m. for your listening ears. And, uh, yeah, thanks for supporting us. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Sam Ball. I'm John Lithgow. And this has been Movie Show John Lithgow. Lithgow. <laughs>